and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. It is so nice to be back to the podcasting desk, you all. It has been a really long time since I have sat down and recorded something for you all. I know I was doing so well with all my pre-recordings and the planning and somewhere in there I got sick and PhD and all of life happened and I wasn't um, prepared in terms of podcasting for it. So I do apologize deeply. This is something that I'm continuously working on and it gets better in longer and longer phases. So all that's to say is I'm really working on getting back to a place where I can get content out for you all every week. Sometimes I might fall through the cracks and just miss a week, but I'm going to really, really try to keep producing, you know, every week (laughs) through the new year. I think, honestly, podcasting is going to be one of my New Year's resolutions because the more I podcast, the more I read and vice versa. So in terms of like this past month and a half of what I have been doing, I was definitely reading a lot more. And I kept saying to myself, you're reading so much. You're reading like two books a week. You need to podcast. You need to share the love here. And so that's what I'm doing today. Um, As you can tell, we have some holdovers from horrifying classics. It just is what it is at this point. There's snow on the ground in Munich. The weather is a little warmer than it was, probably 40s Fahrenheit, Um, and we're gonna just do some horrifying classic stuff. I think, um, I think honestly that blends in perfectly with our, uh, our mood, our spooky December (laughs) this year. Um, We're also gonna bring you two December Dickens books. Um, I think there's four to six Dickens books that we haven't yet reviewed on the show. They're all early and middle works of his. And the two books that we're going to tackle this year are Barnaby Rudge and The Pickwick Papers. I'm so excited for those. Those are going to be awesome. Um, I'm already halfway through Pickwick Papers and I've started Barnaby Rudge as well. Um, and they're a lot of fun, you guys. These comic novels of Dickens's, great. I'm very excited. For now, however, we have a modified horrifying classics taking place over the next few weeks. I'm going to put in some normal books, um, so some non-themed books on the show, um, just for those readers who aren't really into the spooky Christmas vibes, um, which I totally get. Sometimes I'm all for it, sometimes I'm not. This past year, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to really engage with spooky stuff, you know, near the holidays. We're going to have some amazing reads, um, podcasts that I've already recorded and prepared and all of that um, include Barbara Borland's The Force of Such Beauty. That's a long overdue review on the podcast. I read it several months ago um, and it's been on the back shelf in my mind <laughs> for a while. Um, there's Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, which there is a new Netflix show about this short story. It's a longer length short story from Edgar Allan Poe. We have Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. We could argue whether or not this is a horrifying classics read. I was just thinking about this. Um, And lastly, Holly by Stephen King. 
which is the book that we're reviewing today. So let's get into it. The first thing that I want to just say loud and clear here is a general disclaimer about this book. This book is political. This book is uh, very disturbing. This book is loud. This book has sensitive content, including things like cannibalism, violence, uh, basically you name it. So if you are uncomfortable with any of those things, or if you find any of those things triggering, or if you feel that those things would make you mentally unwell, please just stop this episode. Um, there's a lot of this episode where I won't be getting into that because those things also disturb me. <laughs> um, and I had to take a long break from this book before I started to talk about it here on the platform. Um, so if there's any level of discomfort, please just stop this episode and go listen to our last episode. We provide fantastic reads, you know, for any comfort level in terms of this spooky stuff. And I think it's best that we take care of ourselves first. So in terms of a plot summary, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, this plot, um, is a wild one. There's a sort of main plot and then a couple subplots. The main plot is that there are these two older English professors. Um, well, one is an English professor, one is like a life sciences, biology type of professor. Um, they're called the Professors Harris. And the Professors Harris, um, Professor Emily Harris is the English professor. She is emeritus, so she's kind of transitioning into this retirement phase, this sort of slower phase of her academic life, and Professor Rodney Harris. Um, they, um, they, it becomes very clear at the beginning of the book that they um, are cannibals, and they are systematically targeting um, people in this society, um, most often minorities, people without families, people who quote-unquote won't be easily missed, or people who um, may, for one reason or another, have some disconnects, people who um, maybe the police wouldn't search for as much. To be very clear, this is the book's logic and not mine. So this is how they sort of target and search for their victims. Um, and there's a ton of victims. There's a guy who looks who works at a local bowling alley. There's um, a resident um, writer at the school. Um, there's a janitor at the school. There's um, also a student who's sort of the main focus of Holly Gibney's investigation. So Holly Gibney is our resident detective. She's our Dupont figure. She's our Sherlock Holmes. Um, she is going through a really rough time. Her mother has just passed away because her mother um, got contracted COVID and um, did not want the vaccine. This is where the political stuff comes in, and I'm trying to be very careful and just state the book facts and not what I think about all of this. So the mother comes in, she's not vaccinated, and she contracts COVID, dies from COVID, has a Zoom funeral. This is all very traumatic for Holly. The business that Holly runs is called Finders Keepers. It's also just closed because of the pandemic. Holly's business partner also has COVID. He's older. 
Um, so it's just kind of a mess all around. It's kind of like this, you know, high point of COVID. Um, and Holly gets a call from this distressed mother who reminds her of her own. And this mother is missing her little girl, or not so little, in her mid-twenties. Um, she's gone missing. Um, she, it seems that she, either she ran away, there's been a note left behind on her bike, or, uh, in fact, that she's been abducted. Um, and so the book has this kind of very interesting, very tense parallel timeline in terms of um, what is happening with um, this girl as she, it turns out she has been abducted, spoiler alert, <laughs> by the professors Harris um, to become one of their, their victims. Um, and... The timeline is close, but she um, doesn't make it, and the professors Harris do like harvest and to do whatever they need to. So this is horrible. I'm like reviewing what what I read in the book too, and it's it's extremely extremely disturbing. Also for me, um, so. There's also a secondary plot as this is going along, um, and there's this old poet, she's like in her late 90s, called Olivia Kingsbury. She's very famous, and she lives in this town. Um, and one of Holly's sort of associates, his sister named Barbara, is a very young, she's like 17 in high school, and she is a very gifted poet. And she's using her poetry to process some of the other quote-unquote adventures that Holly has sort of contracted her into, and also Bill Hodges, her like former um, mentor. And Barbara ends up um, becoming, or like sort of going under the tutelage of Olivia Knightley, and Olivia Knightley, behind Barbara's back, um, signs her up for the Penley Prize, which is this, like, you know, big poetry prize every year. There's one winner. It's very competitive. Um, spoiler alert, Barbara ends up winning the Penley Prize, and unfortunately, Olivia Knightley also ends up dying. Um, naturally, a natural death. Um, so it's a lot about this sort of personal development of Barbara, which I found amazing. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, that, you know, within this chaos, there's still other life happening, and there's still other things happening. Um, and there's also sort of a tertiary plot here, which is that Barbara's brother, Jerome, the person who Holly, you know, contacts to help her sometimes, or just, you know, they're good friends. Um, Jerome is also publishing a book. So he's like in New York, like <laughs> talking to this publisher, publisher, the book is about like their great grandfather or something who was a gangster and about a lot of like, you know, older history, um, which is really cool. <clears throat> Sounds like a book I would read. <laughs> and so um, Jerome is like kind of in and out of the picture. He's kind of um, a conduit for putting some of these pieces to the puzzle together. Um, and sort of the larger, in terms of zooming out, out of all of these plot lines, what's happening is that within the individual plot lines, certain pieces of these murders are being found out. So like Olivia Knightley has some pieces with the um, visiting um, writer. She saw him the day that he disappeared. He was running. And so there's sort of 
a lot of these connections start to come out. So Jerome starts to piece together the connections, realizes they're all in the same location, realizes this might be a serial. Um, Barbara's putting together connections, um, and Holly is kind of at the center. She's kind of the figurehead of the ship, so to speak, and she's the one kind of, you know, piecing things together on her own. This story all comes to a head. Um, it turns out the professors Harris are um, eating their victims, um, and Professor Emily Harris is the especially mentally deranged one, but Professor Rodney Harris is the one that sort of put together all of the quote-unquote science behind this. Um, Stephen King talks in his afterword quite a bit about, um, you know, the cannibalism and sort of how he wrote with the facts there because all of the sort of quote-unquote facts that Rodney Harris talks about are like they're they're true-ish. <laughs> they're true in the sense that like um, Rodney Harris does know the facts, like the scientific facts about like brains and things like this, but they're false, like, like logically false in the sense that he's using them in a way that doesn't make sense. He's using them in a very twisted, convoluted way that makes the truths twisted. Um, so yeah, he talks a lot about like sort of the interplay, um, between like this sort of science fact-based like thing where you know Rodney Harris at one point like cites other cannibals from history for example and that's all like true like there were other cannibals in history and they were the same ones cited in the book but like the way that Rodney Harris is using them is completely like twisted and completely nonsense and I think Stephen King does a good job in pointing out that, like, it's complete nonsense. Like, there's no scientific basis. There's nothing, like, to support their decisions. They're just old, they're just killer old folks, quote-unquote, in Stephen King's uh, language. Um, so, yeah, it's a it, overall very disturbing book. It's a long one, so I would be just careful <laughs> if you uh, want to read it. you got to be really strong. Um... And eventually, at the end, it all comes to a head, and um, they decide to just kind of completely, um, Holly decides to completely confront the Harrises. She thinks, you know, how bad they can they be kind of thing. Um, gets trapped in their basement. They have this cage that they built, um, unsurprisingly, probably. Um, and she gets trapped in the cage. Holly ends up killing both of the Harrises in self-defense and ends up almost um, dying of thirst in this cage um, and eventually gets let out and lives to see another day. So we have this very dramatic, climactic event at the end. I'm going to continue this episode by going into some of the more literary aspects of this book. Um, Stephen King's afterward is definitely a source that I would go to um, if you have any questions about this book. Um, he does a really good job talking about the continuity of this book from the last book. He does a good job talking about cannibalism as a theme, where he got this idea of killer old folks, um, as he puts it. Um, and it was a really sort of like breath of fresh air for me at the end because I was like, this is this was such a twisted, heavy book. And I felt that though short, the afterword from Stephen King, or the author's note, as it were, 
really sh uh, shone some light for me on what what the mechanics of the book look like and that makes it a little bit less immediate and real for me as a as a reader and also as somebody who loves to analyze literature and look at it from a different angle. So we're going to get into some characterization and some pacing and then close out here with some literary connections. In terms of characterization, um, something that I could really um, almost in a way relate to or sort of like something I could really understand about the main character Holly was that she doesn't trust herself. There's just this like underlying thread in her life where she's not trusting herself. She's not trusting her gut, which is pretty important as a PI. Um, she's not trusting that she's, you know, going to make the right decisions. She doesn't trust, um, you know, herself to take care of herself even. Um, a huge thread of this characterization or this arc for the figure of Holly is that she is a smoking addict. So she's a cigarette addict. Um, she smokes a lot. <clears throat> I, I wish that I had like a counter of how many cigarettes in the book she had. That kind of might have been interesting. Um, but yeah, she's a huge addict um, and she goes through a lot of hoops and things to hide her addiction as best she can. Some people are more sensitive to it than others, etc. But she has, for example, like a little portable ashtray in her bag that she carries. Um, she does her best to like be a, a quote-unquote like cleanly smoker if that's a thing um, and she has a huge problem with smoking like she knows that it's bad for her health and she also knows that it's extremely addictive and it helps her think so there's this really interesting cognitive dissonance um, with regard to her and her smoking she's not the kind of smoker who's just smoking because it looks cool and it's fun and you know to hell with all of the supposed health um <clears throat> things like she very much takes the health risks seriously and knows that the health risks um are probably going to end up really really badly one day um but at, on the other hand she still smokes and so it's this very like she's a very complex figure in my mind and you know i don't really get to interact with people who, you know, are in their early 30s and smoking. So it was a really interesting character for me to be like, okay, like, you know, it's almost like touching reality. I'm like, okay, like, how would this person be? Like, how would they think about this issue? Um, and that's something that I loved about this book in general was that the characterization made the characters very, like, touchable. Um, and, you know, to broaden the perspective just a little bit here, that's one thing I love about reading and literature in general is that it's an exercise in empathy, right? You're trying to expand your empathy to understand these characters, to bring them in a little bit, to step into their shoes, so to speak. Um, and that's a, something that this book I felt really did well. And there's also a huge focus on Holly's politics. Um, I'm sure that you can guess um, which like side Holly leans um, especially considering the situation with her mother dying and I think that you know this is probably Stephen King's most political book and that's 
I don't know how to think or talk about that in a way that's productive here. Um, I will say that it. I do not, in general, like books that are political either way. I've read books that are extreme, you know, sort of having characters with extreme tendencies one way and then books with characters extreme tendencies other ways. Um, and I don't enjoy that just in general on either side. And it's not that I disagree or agree with Holly's politics or the politics of, you know, other people in this book. It's just that I'm not sure that politics is something I enjoy hearing about from fictional characters. Um, but then again, politics is something that a lot of people really deeply care about and something they deeply engage with. So it's a very sensitive issue and it's just a choice on the author's you know, behalf of whether they want to include this aspect in their character. So in terms of the literary perspective, it's not my favorite thing personally to read as a, as a reader, but I do understand that politics is one dimension that makes a character more lifelike in that sense. Let's talk about Barbara, my favorite. So Barbara, um, you know, wins the Penley Prize. She's extremely, she's a courageous young woman. She is, um, she's brave, she's courageous, she's um, just like a, a darling young woman. Like, um, I just really enjoyed interacting with her character. She's such a foil in a way to Holly. Like, you know, they're both a bit like introverted maybe, but in some ways, you know, Barbara has this like torch that she's carrying and she's just carrying it like so expertly and she's putting her emotions, she's processing them in her poetry, which I love. Um, She's, you know, very artistic, creative, supportive of her family. Um, and she's, you know, she's taking on a lot um, on her own at such a young age. So um, I just felt like the character of Barbara was a really great, like, breath of fresh air in this book. Uh, especially compared to the next characters we're going to talk about, the Harrises. So... Yeah, they're extremely mentally disturbed, both of them. Emily Harris more so, as I said. Emily Harris has basically sort of all of the IST, like, <laughs> behavioral characteristics that you could think of. Um, she has this journal, and it's just sort of like, it's like a hate journal, basically, where she can, like, write out all of her hate every day, um, which is pretty awful, honestly. And they find the journal after everything happens, and they're like, you know... They bring in some people who analyze um, that kind of content from serial killers. They analyze the journal and they bring in some passages from Hall or for Holly to read. Um, it's just extremely disturbing. So they're kind of like the worst duo you could ever imagine in a book, um, and you know it's it's heartbreaking like what they what they did and sort of the twisted ideology behind it. Also quite heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say about that. They're, um, extremely, it's, it's weird. There's this tension between them being, you know, local, like sort of staples in the community, like people that anybody would recognize if they came across them. But then also on the other hand, like these twisted, you know, private people 
Um, you know, and I feel like a lot of people, when they interact with the Harrises uh, in public or, you know, even at their Christmas party and stuff like that, they get this weird feeling. Like, they don't really love the dynamic <laughs> between the two of them. Um, they kind of get that there was a little, something a little twisted, something a little bit too cunning about them. Um, yeah, and that ends up being that intuition, which they often just dismiss, ends up being totally right in the end. Alright, let's talk about some pacing. In terms of the pacing of this book, I loved the introduction, or sort of that exposition type of um, area of the book. I really loved how artistic and like still the writing was. It was very like, you know, moment to moment and it starts off when the visiting writer is on a run and when he gets abducted. So it's this just very like he's on a run, it's like sort of, you know, getting colder, it's you know, he's a description of like him and like sort of his personality and like why he's running. There's a description of Olivia Kingsley as she's looking out her window, um, conceiving of sort of the last great poem that she would ever write, um, and looking out and realizing, yeah, that's the visiting writer whom she really likes. So it's this, yeah, it's this very like still not experimental but like very like suspended kind of scene um at least in my head as I am like reviewing back um and something that I really enjoyed um maybe something that I haven't read from Stephen King in a little bit if at all and I would say that the pace does get you know pretty intense at certain points um especially as they're connecting the dots and realizing this could be a serial. The pace, you know, is pretty slow um, for a lot of the book, which surprised me. Um, but this thing is like a snowball, you know, it's like gathering very gradually, and then there's the, an avalanche, you know, it's just kind of this um, piece by piece, like little hint by little hint. And, you know, we as readers, I think for the reader's perspective, like we know everything basically from the beginning. But Holly doesn't. Holly has to figure out everything from square one. She has to, like, you know, question everything in that sense. Like, she might have the intuition that it's a serial, but that's a really serious, you know, accusation that brings a lot more questions to the table and things. She kind of has to investigate everything from the beginning. Um, and that takes time. You know, it takes people. It takes resources. Um, so... There's just this very interesting relationship between the reader and Holly as Holly is figuring this out and the reader is going, no, like there's that sort of dramatic irony of like, we know everything and Holly knows nothing. And, you know, if you were the PI, if you were the person in this situation, would you really think that, you know, this sort of event, this sort of atrocity was happening? You know, I think, like, for me personally, it would take me a really long time to understand what these people were doing, even if all signs pointed in one direction. Because uh, it's just, in our modern world, it's so bizarre out there. Um, and I would say, like, moving to the latter part of this episode, um, 
and moving towards some literary connections even. It really reminds me of Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. It has like this sort of similar pacing. There's all these like little clues throughout. There's a couple of big, you know, flashing lights events. And then at the end, it sort of all accumulates. Um, I tried to c combine a lot of the like sort of works that this reminded me of. It reminded me a lot of It in terms of the characterization. Like I feel like the main characters in It I could really um, relate to in that sense. Same here. 112263, this sort of like, you know, independent individual journey that the main character in 112263 goes on is similar to Holly's journey, in my mind at least. Um, there's also, this book is part of a series, so this is not like a standalone book, this is the first one from my understanding that features Holly as the central figure, but she takes part in many other books. Um, I think I've read a couple of them, but I can't be sure. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot of Stephen King um, sort of little mini verses. Um, and there is, as Stephen King mentions in his author note, some places of discontinuity, for example, where there's, you know, when he wrote the prequel to this book, um, it goes into 2020, but there's no pandemic. And it's just because he couldn't have predicted. He didn't know. He wrote the book before, well before the pandemic. Um, and then when this book comes in, there's kind of this discontinuity jump and, you know, it is the pandemic. So there's just things that, you know, he couldn't have predicted and some stylistic or other major choices that he made that were just a part of his decision-making decision process for this book. Um, and I think the last thing that I was really interested about this book is that this book talks about different writers. It talks about, you know, the Harrises and their relationship with writing, how Rodney Harris kind of is this discredited figure and how, um, you know, Emily Harris is this writing professor and, you know, like this sort of like writing as a career, writing as a, as a vocation is a big central thread throughout this book, um, especially with Olivia King Kingsley and, um, just all of the various characters who are writers, right? Jerome, Barbara, like there's so much here when it comes to writing. And I think one question that I had certainly while I was finishing this book was like, what is Stephen King's perspective on writing? And um, that's something that like, you know, he gets into more in his um, nonfiction book um, on writing and something that like I really enjoyed reading. Um, I think I read it even earlier this year. But that was something that um, I really have been thinking about is like Stephen King's approach to different writers and sort of these different lights that he shines on these different writers. It occurs to me that he puts lights on writers at all stages in the writing process. So there's this sort of like Rodney Harris is mostly a writing critic and he like writes like little responses in scientific journals. Um, Barbara is at the very beginning like fledgling, you know, career. Um, Olivia Knightley is at the very end of her career, at the end of her life. Um, her brother Jerome is publishing his book. So he's kind of at this like beginning middle phase, which I find interesting. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of, and there's, you know, writers that come in and out of the book, um, such as the writing, um, the visiting writer who's sort of at this like middle career stage of his 
writing career. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting commentary about writing itself and writing as a vocation in this book that I didn't want to miss at the very end here. As you can probably tell, my cold is not better. <laughs> so I'm going to sign off here. I hope you enjoyed this review of Holly by Stephen King. Um, certainly a disturbing one if you've made it all the way to the end. Um, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the rest of our spooky holiday <laughs> December um, horrifying classic season. Um, we will be adding some Dickens in here soon. Um, but for now, some other less horrifying, hopefully, reads in the next few weeks. Thank you all. I'll see you soon. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.